Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley. My name's Tim Brown. It's good to be back with you. I've missed you over the last... Oh, thanks. I have a fan club. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, keep cheering. Sermon always gets better when you cheer. And it gets shorter, too. Happy Father's Day to your fathers out there. Um, I love dad jokes. Do you all like dad jokes? Okay, guys, I've got one for you. When does a dad joke become a dad joke when it becomes a parent. (laughs) Uh, I thought you all would like that one. I don't know if it was ever stated to me outright or told to me specifically, but at some point growing up, I learned the importance of the chair that you sat in. For me, I probably learned that around our dinner table. Do you all remember when you used to have dinner tables in your home? Uh, See, in our house, we had dinner together as a family every evening, and especially on Sundays. And around our dinner table, my dad had his chair. My mom had her place. My two sisters had their chairs that they sat in, and I had my place. I even had a special placemat that said Tim's Place on it. Again, the importance of the chair and where you would sit. I guess when I really became more conscious and aware of where you would sit and the importance of where you would sit was in the first and second grade. Many of you may not know, I grew up in a little coal mining community in southern West Virginia in the little elementary school that I went to. In first and second grade, we had what was called reading circles. And even though when you would be called, your group would be called to the reading circle, you didn't really sit in a chair. We sat on milk crates that had pillows on top of them. And there were three different circles, and you were very aware which circle you sat in because there was one circle that was for the advanced readers, and then there was a second circle for those who were more average readers, and there was a third circle for those who struggled in reading. And in my elementary schools, you actually sat in positions around that circle, and the better reader you were, the closer to the teacher that you sat. Again, the importance of where you sit and which chair you would sit in. Now, in third grade, I was introduced to another chair. And I was only told, I was only told this, that those who occupied that chair, it, it set out in the hallway. I was only told, of course. But I was told that those who occupied that chair were sent out there to sit in that chair because you either weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing or you're misbehaving in class. I was told, and again, I was only told this, that, um, that you really grew spiritually in that chair because you did a lot of praying out in the hallway because you were praying, please, God, don't let the principal come out and see me here. His name was Mr. Browning. And if Mr. Browning caught you sitting in that chair out in the hallway, he would invite you to his inner sanctum. And he would ask you to have a seat. And then he would introduce you to his friend that was in his upper right-hand desk drawer. His friend's name was Herschel. Now, when I talked about Herschel before to other groups, especially younger folks, they didn't have the privilege like many of us did to grow up when there was capital punishment allowed in schools. And 
Herschel was Mr. Browning's paddle. It was about this long and this thick, and he had holes drilled in it so that when you bent over to touch your knees and you got your spanking, you, you felt it. And Herschel was famous. Herschel was also painful. I'm only told. I'm only told. Maybe some of you understand the importance of a chair and where you sit. Maybe some of you were in band or orchestra and you understood the importance of where you sit. Any of you in band and orchestra that you maybe occupied first chair or second chair? How many of you were in the 40th chair? (laughs) In basketball, when I played basketball, I understood the importance of where you would sit if you were not one of the first five guys on the floor The sixth man sat by the coach, the second man next to the sixth man, and on down the line. And if you were the unlucky guy at the end of the bench, like me, you never thought that the coach would ever call your name. You didn't even know if he did know your name. Again, the importance of the chair and where he would sit. Now today, as you've probably noticed already, I have three chairs on this stage. And these three chairs will symbolize three stages of life. And every one of us are in one of these three chairs today. So I guess the question we'll be asking for the next few minutes is this. Which chair do I sit in? So I've got names for these three chairs so they're easy to remember. We have chair number one. That would make this chair number Two, and that would make this chair number. Got some smart Alex in here this morning. <laughs> chair number three. And again, each of these three chairs they symbolize and 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 they rec- they will uh, demonstrate to us different phases where we are in our lives and where we are spiritually. They do each have a name. Chair number one, we're going to call this the chair of commitment. Can you say commitment? And chair number two is the chair of compromise. Can you say compromise? And chair number three is the chair of conflict. And what we're going to see is that every one of us here today, we're occupying one of these three chairs. And what we're going to see is that the Bible and history teaches us that we need to be very aware of what chair we sit in because there's usually a downward slide from the chair that we sit in. And these chairs will represent where we are spiritually. So let me give descriptions of each of these three chairs. And then I'll give you some examples from history and then from Scripture. For those who are sitting in chair number one, the chair of commitment, these are people who love Jesus wholeheartedly. These are people who want to be a follower, who want to be a disciple. They want to be learners of Scripture. They want to learn from Jesus, not just to have head knowledge, but they want it to change their heart. People who occupy the chair of commitment, they are committed to understanding what Scripture teaches, and then they absorb it into their life because they know that their value system is determined by what they learn from Scripture and from Jesus. They sit here in the chair of commitment. People understand in the chair of commitment that He is Lord over every area of their life. So people who occupy the chair of commitment, they're committed financially. They're committed to understanding how God has uniquely shaped them and made them because they know that they are on a mission, not just for themselves, but their mission is to expand the kingdom of God. 
So when you talk about serving, they say, absolutely, wholeheartedly, I want to serve because life is bigger than me. It's about the expansion of the kingdom, and I want as many people to know about the love of Christ as they possibly can. When you occupy chair number one, you say, Lord, you can hit me wherever you want in my life. Teach me. I want to learn and I want to practice. Now, sometimes what can happen is we can slide over to chair number two, the chair of compromise. In chair number one, we love Jesus. We love God. In chair number two, we love Jesus and we love God. But as in chair number one, where we're wholeheartedly committed, in chair number two, we're half-heartedly committed. In chair number two, we live our life in compartments. In chair number one, we say, you can be Lord over every area of my life because that's what you say that you want to be. In chair number two, we say, Lord, you can be Lord over some areas of my life. In chair number one, I'm selfless. It's about loving and serving. In chair number two, I get selfish. In chair number two, my value systems are no longer determined by what Scripture has to teach. My value systems are impacted by what culture around me is telling me and what makes me comfortable. In chair number one, if a preacher is preaching and he starts to challenge me and I feel convicted, I want to do something about that. In chair number two, if a preacher is preaching and teaches on something that I'm not comfortable with, I get ticked off and I may not come back to church for a while. And then if we're not careful, we can slide to chair number three, and that's the chair of conflict. And people who are in the chair of conflict, they're typically having conflict in various different places in their life. Their value systems are determined totally by what's happening in culture. Many people who are sitting in chair number three have a sense of searching going on. They're looking for happiness. They're looking for something to fulfill them. So they'll try to find that happiness and fulfillment in relationships, whether healthy or unhealthy. They may turn to alcohol or drugs or pornography or illicit sexual behavior. In chair number three, I am living completely and totally for myself. So let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. If I were to ask you this morning, what do the universities of Harvard, Yale, and Princeton have in common? Many of you would say, well, they're Ivy League schools. It's where smart people go. Costs a lot of money to go to those schools. What many may not realize is that Harvard and Princeton and Yale started as Bible colleges. And that one of the core curricula that they taught was theology. And they actually had contracts that students had to sign stating that the students would have a daily devotion. And if they were caught skipping their daily devotion, they could be expelled. Some would say that the universities of Harvard and Princeton and Yale started in chair number one, the chair of commitment. And somewhere throughout their history, they began to compromise those values and occupied chair number two. And some would say that if you were to go on those campuses today, they occupy chair number three where God is not even present at all. And if you mention the name of Jesus, you may be expelled. Let's talk about the United States of America. And we could have some good discussions about this. But many would say, if you read history, it was, seems apparent that the founding fathers and mothers had a desire to have one nation under God. 
And some would say somewhere throughout the history, the United States of America began to compromise in those values. And many would say that today, the United States of America sits in chair number three, the chair of conflict, where you can't get along with anybody. Let's talk about church some. I pastor the Well Community Fellowship in Modesto. It's 12 years old. I know that church was founded in chair number one. But the question that I have to press my leaders on and our church people is not where we were born. The question is, which chair do we occupy today? Over 130 years ago, a group of people decided that there needed to be another evangelical presence in a little town called Lemoore. And so they started a church called First Baptist Church of Lemoore. Today you call it South Valley. I have no doubt that the founders of this church gave birth to this church in chair number one. The question though, friends, is where do you sit today? Let's talk about family life, and we're going to see some of this in Scripture. Often what you're going to see in Scripture and, and history will demonstrate this, is mom and dad who love Jesus and serve Jesus will often sit in chair number one, the chair of commitment, and their children, just by virtue of mom and dad occupying chair number one, will sit in chair number two, the chair of compromise, until they make a decision of their own to get in chair number one. But the question is, where do the kids' kids sit? Because what we're going to see demonstrated is if I occupy chair number two, there's a high likelihood that my children are completely conflicted. Which chair do you sit in? So let's look at some biblical examples. If you were to go to the New Testament, there's a book in the New Testament called Ephesians. It's a letter written to a church. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church and 14 times in six chapters, you know what he says to them? You're an incredible church because you love God and you love others. You see, one of the characteristics of individuals and of churches who occupy chair number one is they love God and they love others. And it's a self-sacrificing type of love. So he tells them repeatedly in this letter, he says, the way that you love is incredible. But only a few decades later... Another message comes to this church. And this message is from Jesus himself. And this message can be found in the book of Revelation chapter 2. And in the book of Cha Revelation chapter 2, in just a few short decades, this church has gone from chair number one, the chair of commitment, to chair number two, the chair of compromise, and Jesus is reprimanding them. Look what he says to them in Revelation chapter 2. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. You've forgotten your first love. I see all the good things that you're doing, but you've slid. 
And then if you want to see what happens when a group of people occupy this chair too long, you go to Revelation chapter 3, and then you see what Jesus has to say to the church at Laodicea, who at one time in their history had occupied chair number 1. They had slid to chair number 2 at some time, and in chair number 3, just listen to where they are. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth you see in chair number one I have godliness in chair number two I have a form of godliness in chair number three God is not even present because what happens in chair two and chair three friends is I just get a sense of apathy I don't really care about the things of God I don't really care about his mission I don't really care about his kingdom anymore you see, when I'm sitting in chair number one, I, the job that I get paid for, I don't even see it as a job that I get paid for. I see the job that I get the privilege to work at or wherever I go each day, I see that as my mission field. That God has strategically placed me in some people's lives who need the presence of Christ and I'm his ambassador. In chair number two, we don't see it that way. It's about us and our comfort. In chair number one, we want to serve. In chair number two, we'll serve as long as it's convenient and fits into my schedule. In chair number one, we're committed to the things of kingdom and church work. In chair number two, we'll go to church as long as something better doesn't come up. I believe that one of the things that COVID revealed is the number of people who say with their lips that Jesus is Lord and they're not living it with their lives, it's revealed who sits in chair number two. Which chair do you sit in? Well, let's talk about King David for a minute. Now, King David, it says in Psalm 42, 1, I want you to see what David said. He said, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for God. I thirst after you, God. He's a guy that occupied chair number one. God described him as a person after my own heart. Now, was David perfect? No way. He did things that some of us in this room would not even think of. But here was the difference with David. When he was confronted about his sin, he repented and he got back in chair number one. That's what happens when people occupy chair number one. doesn't mean you're perfect, but you have a sensitivity to the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God is convicting and leading you in an area maybe where you're not living right, you say, God, I'm sorry. Well, David had a son, and his son's name was Solomon. If we could describe David, we would say David was priority-driven. If we could describe Solomon, we would read in Scripture that Solomon was pleasure-driven. He had a clear understanding of the things of God. He said that he loved God, but he just didn't live it out always in his life. In fact, if you read in 1 Kings 3.3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. In other words, he said he loved God, but he worshipped other things as well. The scripture was pretty clear that if you were a king... There were some things that you needed to avoid as a king. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, it says this. 
The king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Do you know what Solomon was known for? His wealth and his women. In 1 Kings 11, 3-4, it says that he had 700 wives of royal birth. There's a crazy man. 700 wives. And 300 concubines, which means mistresses. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Solomon had a divided heart. And then Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam had heard about the stories of his granddad David who walked with God and talked with God and lived for God. He said under the influence of his father Solomon who said he loved God but didn't fully devote himself to God. He saw and he heard about his grandfather who was priority driven. He saw a father who was pleasure driven. And if there's a word that could describe Rehoboam it was that he was perplexed. He was conflicted. It was under his leadership that the nation of Israel divided into two, split, and evil was rampant in Israel. And see, this is where as a parent it really scares me. Because the Bible and history teach that there's this downward slide that happens. And I know that over here in chair number one, the chair of commitment, these are people who are committed. They want to be a good example, a good role model, not only to people around them, but also to their children. And over here in chair number three, they're conflicted. But you know what chair number two is? Chair number two is the gambler's chair. I'm betting that I can live my life and say that I love Jesus and not be fully committed to him. And somehow people that I have influence over are going to turn out okay, spiritually. And scripture and history teaches the chances of that happening are not very high. One more example from Scripture. Joshua took over the reins of leadership from Moses after Moses died, and Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land. And after they settled in the promised land, he gathered the people together because he knew his days were drawing to an end. And in Joshua chapter 24, he gathered the people together and the leaders together, and he said, you need to choose who you're going to serve Are you going to serve these foreign gods? Are you going to serve the God who saves and brought you here? And then he said this, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now in the book of Judges chapter 1, it says that after after Joshua, Joshua, he was committed. He lived in chair number 1. But there was another group of leaders that came along after Joshua. And it says that as Joshua knew the Lord and he knew the works of the Lord, this next group of people knew the Lord, but they didn't know his works. They weren't experiencing his power in their life anymore. And then it said there was another generation that came and they neither knew the Lord nor did they know the works of the Lord. So what does this have to do with us today? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give three quick application points. Point number one. To know which chair I sit in is to know where I am spiritually. 
It's pretty obvious, isn't it? No more guessing. No more wondering. Just be honest. Which chair do you sit in? Second observation, and I've said it repeatedly. The Bible and history teach that there's usually a downward slide from the chair in which I sit. So again, if I occupy chair number one, then those that I have influence over just by virtue of me being committed probably occupy chair number two until they decide at some point to get in chair number one. But if I occupy chair number two, whoa, I'm sending mixed messages and it confuses and conflicts people. So God help us. If there are some here today that by the end of this service you would choose to move. God help you as a church that you camp yourselves in chair number one and sometimes you may ask, well how do we do that so quickly? Let me divert and I'm going to give you four things to remember just quickly that will help you maybe keep your family here and, and those that you keep influence over to chair number one. They all start with the letter E. They all start with the letter E, okay? Are you ready? The first one is this. Example. Live a life of an example. Practice what you preach. Live a life of the example. If you say you want to be like Jesus, then be like Jesus. Many of us say we love Jesus, but that we never give of our time, of our talent, our treasures. So be an example. Second is to remember the environment. Create a positive environment. Now, what kind of environment is there when you get around? So when you come into a room, do, do, do people scatter from you like, like roaches when you turn on a light at night? Do they scatter away from you or are they drawn to you? What type of environment are you creating? So example, environment. Thirdly is experiences. Expose yourself to good experiences. Create good experiences. As a church, never forget how important it is to young kids that they experience something powerful earlier on in life. So support your children and youth ministries. When there's opportunity to come for conferences or have special experiences as a church, participate. And I'm going to tell you, be really honest with you, it's hard to have a powerful experience if you're living selfishly. So if you want to experience the power of God, serve. Jesus said it in John 13 after he washed the disciples' feet. He said, if you will stoop and serve, then I will bless you. How many of you would like Jesus to bless you? He says, it's no secret, serve. So... We had three. We talked about three, right? I can't remember what they were. Example, environment, experiences, and last is, is you just got to evaluate yourself. Continually ask, which chair do I sit in? So just a quick review and application. To know which chair I sit in is to know where I am spiritually. The Bible and history teach that there's usually a downward slide from the chair in which I sit. And here's the last thing. 
you have a choice about which chair you sit in. So friend, if you're here today and you occupy chair number three, you are there by choice. You can't blame it on anybody. You can't blame it on everybody. You're there by choice. And if you're here today and you occupy chair number two, you are there by choice. And if you're here today and you're like a lot of us and we're struggling to stay in chair number one and we're constantly getting checked and trying to stay here, we're here by choice. Can't blame it on anybody else. So if you're here today and you occupy chair number three, I'm going to challenge you to do something. If you're here today and you find yourself in chair number three, I challenge you to inwardly, spiritually, and mentally get up out of that chair and toss it aside and go to chair number one. And if you're here today and you find yourself in chair number two, the chair of compromise, I challenge you to inwardly and spiritually, inwardly, you go to that chair and you fold it up and you throw it aside and you come over here to chair number one and you camp here and you pray that God will help keep you there. You pray by the Spirit of God to empower you that you'll live there and you say as Joshua did, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. When I was growing up, we used to play a game. It may be outlawed now. (laughs) Many of you probably played it. It was called musical chairs. You know, uh, you got in a circle and there was one less chair than the number of people. And while the music played, you made your move. But once the music stopped, it was over. And there are times and there are moments spiritually where it's time to make a move. So I'm going to challenge you to do something that's very uncomfortable. Because I know that you know that in order to have real growth in your life, you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. The music is going to be playing here in a minute. And there's going to be a song that's being sung. And I want to challenge you. If you're ready, if you're ready to change chairs, I'm going to challenge you to make a visible commitment. I know this seems awkward. But sometimes we need to feel awkward around this front of the stage are different chairs here. These are all chair number ones. While this song is being performed and sung, you can sing along with it, but let's make this a sacred time. And if you're ready to make your move, maybe you would just come. Place your hands on the chair and say, God, I want to move to chair number one. Help me to make the move. So while the music plays, you come up in the balcony. You're going to have to come down the stairs. That's one of the reasons why you don't want to sit in the balcony. But you come. This is a sacred moment. You make the commitment to live in chair number one. And then you can go back to your seat, and then I'll come up and close us. So as the music plays, you come.
When the music fades And all is stripped away And I've simply come Longing just to bring Something that's worth That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. King of endless worth no one could express how much you deserve though I'm weak and poor all I have is yours every single breath I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you, Lord It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made And it's all about you about you, Jesus. The Spirit of God is moving today. And for those of you who made the move, whether you came up and physically did it or you're doing it in your mind, you know, we've got pastors who'll be here if you need some time for prayer after the service or connect. Maybe some of you, your next step would be to have a conversation with a, with a family member or a child. Um, maybe just saying, you know, I lived in chair two, and I can't imagine what that did to you. But I'm in chair one now, and I hope you'll join me. For some of you, your next step is that little card that you came in that's on your, 
your uh, seat. You need to move to chair number one and show that you're moving there by your willingness to serve. Maybe you'll come and join me on that date in July. I can't remember the date. Anybody remember what date it is? Yeah, that date. And uh, we're going to do a spiritual gifts inventory. I'm going to help you discover what your spiritual gifts are and then try to connect you in a right way to a good ministry for you, okay? Thank you so much for being here today. Would you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Spirit of God that is present in this place today. I pray that you would be honored and glorified by how we live our lives and how we make our commitments to you and to others. I love this church and I pray for your richest blessings upon everyone present, everyone watching. Help us to live in chair number one. In Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you next time, okay? God bless you.